0: Which sure is taking me a journey or the other way. So let me just put it on my glass here. Okay. Good morning, everyone. And a isru uh, isruchak and a gesunte I hope everybody had a wonderful Pesach. Um, and just a heads up: the last few weeks, I guess the organizers knew we needed a short little Sihha Erev We needed something a little lighter during Khalamaid. But today we're back in full force. So um we need to put on our, our uh, thinking caps. Um, something very very special happens in the sicha where um, I think we're all familiar with the idea that when you do chuva properly, the zdaynayis the averis become zachiyis they become merit, merits. But in this sicha, the Rebbe analyzes um, the process. Um, that has, to, that has to take place in order for that to happen, and how it could be that that actually occurs, not in some philosophical way, in some poetic way, but in some very didactic um, halachic way. And it's quite fascinating. Um, today's sicha is, uh, we're learning the sicha for the schusa, for shlema, for Harav yosef, yitzchak, ben sima, chasya, um, the Abishah should give him a reform shlema or Aleph. We're learning Acharei Beis, Chelak Yud Zayin, and uh, we're beginning, of course, with Seif Aleph. Isa be Gemara, be Mesechas Yuma. At the very end of Mesechas Yuma, which deals with Yom Kippur, the Gemara cites the following Tana devei Rabbi Ishmael. Rabbi Ishmael taught. One who sees a seminal omission on Yom Kippur, he should worry, he should be in a state of consternation, of apprehensiveness the entire year. And if he lives through the year, then it is a sign that he is assured that he will have a place in Oilam Hapa. Amar Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak taught, he said, Teda, you should know, Shakala Ilam Rav, that even if the whole world will be in a state of famine, Saiva? <inaudible> but he will be in a state of satiation. Dimi, <inaudible> When Rav came from Eretz Yisrael, Omar, he taught, he added another layer. Mafish Chaye, he, this person who saw a seminal Mishnah Yom Kippur will live a long life, Sage Bumisagey, and he will live to see children and grandchildren. Okay, that's the Siyem of Maseches Yuma. Now the Hebe is going to, of course, analyze this. Simply speaking, uh, it would seem, we have to say, Simply speaking, it would seem that this piece of Gemara that we just read, that these memories um, so that these aphorisms, that these teachings are brought by the Gemara here, Because they follow the trajectory of what was brought a little bit earlier, which is that it says, that if one sees a seminal omission on Yom Kippur, then he should be tayvil, he should immerse in the mikvah. So it would seem that that's the connection, that the Gemara tells us um, what a man should do if he sees a a seminal omission. And then we have the teachings that we looked at in the above paragraph. But the Rebbe says, <laughs> we have to understand. How could it be that the end and the sealing of this part of the Gemara, which is all about Yom Kippur, and the entirety of the subject matter is about Shuva? And, kapora. and especially this is the last Mishnah and the Rebbe teaches us over and over and over and over again. That the end is, is very, very powerful, that the very last teaching, that the very last aspect encapsulates everything that came before. You might even say that that's why it's important to have a good dessert because it kind of seals the whole meal, and that's what people take away or remember the feelings they'll have when they remember your dinner or lunch. I'm trying to talk to myself because I never look at desserts at all, and that's very bad. But anyway, um, so the Rebbe says, so how could it be that the last mishnah in this Gemara, which is all about Shuba and kapara? So, how could it be that this last Mishnah should speak about something that seems so antithetical to the whole idea of Chuva and Kapara? Haraya Kerry, that he sees a seminal omission. That's a way to end the whole treatment in the Gemara of Yom Kippur. oid and so, so much so, moreover, moreover, this particular sin of a man seeing a seminal mission, When done intentionally, when a man brings himself to this state in premeditated fashion, this is one of the most serious averas and is most difficult to do teshuva for and to achieve atonement. The Rebbe says, and we understand from what the punishment is when you do it intentionally, that even when you do it unintentionally, it's not such a simple thing. Because as a rule, even if you do something unintentionally, but the punishment and the ramifications of trespassing that kind of sin, that kind of prohibition unintentionally is informed, and we can learn its seriousness from what happens if you do it in premeditated fashion. can move on. And we learn this also when we analyze, when we look at the different categories of punishments and the different categories of carbonase. And um, we can see that there's a correlation when it comes to a certain sin. It's still going to be informed by the same rubric, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And since in t- if done intentionally, a man bringing himself to seminal omission when it's inappropriate is such a serious sin we can learn that even if it's even if it's if it's a mistake, there's still a seriousness about this. So how could this be the last aspect of the whole Gemara about Yom Kippur? And even though at the end the Gemara Concludes that if he did live through that year, then he is assured that he has a place in Eilim Haba and that he will live long life and he will be zeichet to see children and grandchildren, etc. But it's only at some time after Yom Kippur, after the year, that he will reach and he will come to something good. But that Yom Kippur, when he sees a seminal mission, this is something that contravenes the the desire of Hashem. So how come the Gemara would bring this as the final teaching when you're discussing a day of kapara, of atonement, of clean slate, and especially according to Hasidus of the of the. The etzem the is mayor on kipper. So it just seems like this is not the appropriate way to end. Gam Rebbe says we also have questions. Forget about that. This is the last mission in the Gemara. But the etzem inyan, just the just the, the subject matter itself, also evokes questions. Ech shemidavar shemidavar bilti and how is it possible, how is it conceivable that from something negative, and it's a twofold negative thing because it's always negative when a man sees a seminal omission that came about in an inappropriate way, and how much more so on Yom Kippur. So how is it possible that from something like this, nifla should come about something so wonderful. Not only that he's assured that he has a place in Elam Haba, but he has promised a long life and that he will merit to see children and grandchildren. How is it possible that all this emerges from something that appears to be at face value so negative? Rashi explains that if he did live through the year after he saw the kari on Kippur, Rashi explains, and he didn't die. This assures him that he has other good deeds and those good deeds protected him from this sin. But the Rebbe pushes back, he says, but seemingly, according to Rashi's explanation, it's something else. It's the masim that he has accrued during his lifetime that protect him, that he should not be harmed. But the Gemara says, that the sign that he is assured a place in Eilam Haba is because he saw the seminal mission. So the Chibet doesn't embrace Rashi's explanation because he says, according to Rashi's explanation, it's something else that protects him. But according to the way the Chabot is learning the Gemara, it's clearly connected to the fact that he saw a seminal emission, And if seeing a seminal mission on any pedestrian day is not a good thing, and especially on Yom Kippur. So rebbe says, it does, it's not computing how this would lead to something so wonderful. V'shuv enimugon, so we don't understand. How could seeing the seminal mission affect? Um, such a great advantage that that he is assured that he is a ben elam haba and more so even in this world mafish sage that he will have a long life that he will have children that he will have grandchildren rebbe says i just i don't understand okay so in siman aleph two questions one why would the Gemara finish up on this note? A Gemara that is focused on and saturated with the energy of tshuva and kapara. Why would it end on seemingly a sour note about a man that saw Kerry? And true, the Rebbe says that at the very end, it ends on a positive note, but that positivity has a clause if he lives through the year. And even if he does live through the year, he's not going to know this until after a year. But on Yom Kippur itself, there is a there's a definite deficit. And then the Rebbe says, forget about that this is the last mission in the Gemara. But just simply speaking, how is it that something so wonderful, that something so you know spectacular emerges from something Seemingly so negative. Sim and hamura. So similar to this question that the Rebbe has just laid out for us. And even more so, kasha mi'ahava. The Rebbe says, let's zoom out and see a similar paradigm when we talk about shuva that comes from love. ne'mar The Gemara says about this kind of tshuva that his sins become merits. And the Maharsha has already asked this question: that this is a uh, a flabbergasting idea. If you're going to accept this, then what emerges is that the sinner is rewarded. Vitirats, <inaudible> and he explains this question by saying, <inaudible> that when someone is moved to do shuva out of love, <inaudible> it's it's certain that he does a complete teshuva. <inaudible> and he He adds on to his good deeds more than necessary, relative to the sin that he did. In other words, he doesn't just redress the trespass and the transgression, but he does more. And so, it's the extra good deeds that he adds. It's the extra good midays, good the mitzvahs, and and. The good works that he adds, catapulted by this great Ahava, so kind of spills over, his cup runs over, as it were, and it's that extra, it's the runoff that actually becomes the Zachias. So again, it's not the zdainais according to the Maharsha, it's the extra good deeds that were generated by the deep teshuva that this person did, the Ahava. And the verse that the Gemara brings down proves this point. The Gemara brings down, When a Russia returns from his evil, And he does um, justice and he does charitable things. This makes him live. Dimashma. It's it it sounds we understand from this mishpat alehim chaya It's the extra mishpat and staka that he did above and beyond what would have been necessary for him to do teshuvah. This is what causes him uh, to live longer, to be vivified in a whole new way. But of course, as you already know, the Rebbe is not going to accept it. The Rebbe says, but seemingly this is not understood. You could see that the Rebbe underscores. The Gemara says it's the sins themselves that become the merits. This proves that it's not something else. It's not the runoff. It's not the extra mishpat or like the Maharsha says. It's the actual sins that become the merits. It's not the runoff that is like an additional... Um, additional zochies that come because of the sins but the Rebbe says no, the Gemara is saying that the sins themselves become the merits so now the question that we that the Rebbe delineated at the beginning of seven days he says returns in full force so how could it be that someone who sins should be rewarded that his sins should become merits. And he says, and maybe, the Rebbe says, we could say that the following is the way that the Gemara means for this to be understood. What does this mean? Because the extra measure of good works and good deeds come as a result of the person being changed and transformed through the tshuva that he did because of these very sins. So then the sins become the reason, they become the motivation for the great tshuva me'ahava which changes his sins to merits. And the Rebbe says, we could even find a parallel in halacha. What's a parallel to this? This can be likened to the following paradigm. You have a document. So halachically, any document is considered Prima facie is considered authentic and legitimate. That's the default. He she But if a certain document is contested in court, somebody comes and says, "This document is not an authentic document. It's, it's been, um, you know, the 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 um, the person who ostensibly signed never signed. It, it's false, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So the the authenticity of the document was protested. It was contested in court. But afterwards, the based in does its inquiry and it says, no, It it this is not a false document. It's a authentic document. So then this kind of document that has been contested, then authenticated, has a, a different level of authenticity attributed to it error, And it's different than the default document which we accept we accept it that it's, you know, the default is that it's authentic. So what do we find from this dynamic? That it's the very um, fact that, it, that the document was contested that brings to the strength of its validity. So the Rebbe says, could be, that's what the Gemara is saying here, that it's the very sins that catapulted the person into a kind of tshuva that causes an extra measure of good deeds. And that's what it means. But the Chabbis says, no, 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 no. <laughs> Still not accepting it. Because when you can test a document, it only st- and it is verified and its authenticity is corroborated by the based in, it only affects a uh, strength in the star itself. So, if you want to compare it in the analog, then you could argue that the sins created a strengthening and a superlative characteristic in the person, in the gavra that did teshuva. But we know in halacha, there's two things. There's gavra, there's the person, and there's chafzah, the entity. But it doesn't say the person who sinned. It says the sins themselves become merit so it's understood from this, that the very entity called sin, and so the Rebbe says, we have to understand how this could be. How could it be? We could understand how the person could emerge in a higher state. That the relationship with Hashem is strengthened. The old Metaphor with the with the with the string the cable that's cut and the place where it's knotted is stronger than before it was cut or truncated. We all know that we got that. The Rebbe says this is not about the person; it's about the sins themselves. How is it possible for a sin to become a merit? And remember, the Rebbe is bringing this in as a parallel to his original question, which is, how could it be that Arayah carry beyond Kippur? should be muftah then ben haba and not only that but mafish chaye that he should have a long life and that he should see children or grandchildren and all of this emerges from something that on a regular wednesday would be not a good thing at all how is this possible if somebody is not muted if you can mute yourself um the person who normally does this is not with us today um, and it's, it's hard, I think, to concentrate with that, with that um, noise in the background. Thank you. The And we're going to understand this when we look at the last part of the Mishnah of yuma. Okay. When we looked at the last part of the Gemara. Now we're looking at the last part of the Mishnah. Amarabi Akiva. A lot of us are familiar with this. Rabbi Akiva taught. Rabbi Akiva said, How fortunate are Yisrael before whom we are purified and who purifies us. Your father in heaven. And then Rabbi Akiva brings two psukim as proof texts. I will sprinkle upon you pure waters, and you will become purified. And there's another puzzle, So that was from Yichaskel. and in Yirmiyahu, Yirmiyahu says, "Mikva Yisrael Hashem." That Hashem is the mikva for Bnei Yisrael. Ma mikva mitar es etameim afakadash baruchu mitar es Yisrael. Just as a mikvah purifies those that are impure, so does a Kaddish Baruch purify Bnei Yisrael. Now, Rabbi <laughs> Akiva what Rabbi Akiva teaches and what Rabbi Akiva is saying, there are two aspects. Aleph, miyatem before whom are you purified? And beis Ummi b'tahar and who purifies you? And so to parallel these two teachings, he brings two psukim as proof texts. I will sprinkle upon you pure waters and bathe mikvah Yisrael Hashem. That Hashem is the mikvah of Bnei Yisrael there have goin' haragachava and the ragachava goin explains <laughs> that by bringing these two psukim, by teaching these two things, this is expressing two different modalities in Tara. There's something called Haza, the sprinkling. And then there's a mikvah. She kavona That when you're dealing with the hazaah, the sprinkling of the para aduma on a person, there must be intention to be purified. Ve'ilu ha'tara Whereas the immersion in a mikvah does not necessitate kavona intention in order for it to be efficacious because the mikveh will purify even if there is no intention to be purified. And now when we understand what the Ragachava Goyen explains to us that Rabbi Akiva is speaking to these two elements of tahara now we can look at the two psukim that Rabbi Akiva cited and see this. One is, I will sprinkle upon you pure waters. And the other is, Yisrael Hashem, that Hashem is your mikvah. Although both of these verses deal with being purified through God, in the first Pasuk, It's active. I will sprinkle upon you. Hashem is sprinkling. There is the activity of sprinkling. But in the second uh, verse, there is no action being uh, cited, mentioned. And this is a kind of a hint to the fact that you don't need kavana. Just like in the Pasuk, mikveh Yisrael Hashem, there is no action item. There's no overt action. So too on the part of the person in the mikveh, they don't need to have intention. Because in this type of purification, it doesn't rise or fall on the Kavana the Kavana is not absolutely necessary this should not be understood as meaning that um, one should not try to have Kavana or that there's no efficacy to having Kavana but it's simply saying that legally speaking even if there is no Kavana the taras still takes place <speaking in Hebrew> And just like there are two modalities on the part of the one who is purifying, and in this case, we're talking about that there are two modalities in terms of how Hashem purifies Bnei Israel. In like fashion, the teaches there exist two modalities in the overall Avoida of Chuva and purification of a person. And as the Gemara brings down, there are two categories, two general categories of tshuva. There is on the one hand tshuva miyira. there is tshuva that comes from fear or awe, and often perhaps accompanied by travail, by by tsaras by painful things and then this truva me'ahva. this truva from love hashav the one who returns out of love kavanasai the person who returns from love his intention his desire his his sincere goal is to return to Hashem and to remedy and fix his relationship. However, the person who returns from awe or fear, or because he is being pummeled with Yisurin, in the main, it seems that he is being motivated by the fact that he does not want to be punished. And therefore, he regrets what he did vis-a-vis his relationship with Hashem. Another way of saying it, you could say that the tshuva me'ava is motivated by Hashem. I want to be closer to Hashem. The tshuva me'ira is motivated by me. I, I, I want to suffer less. And the Gemara also discusses the difference between their, their efficacy, the strength. Shebet shuva erpam mishuvasam. Regarding the tshuva that is motivated or stimulated by fear, the Gemara says, I will rectify or heal his meandering or his waywardness. Operish Rashi. And Rashi explains on these words, "Kibal Moon, it's like somebody who um, gets a wound, shenis rape, and it's healed. However, but there will always remain a scar. Ava b'tshuva but the Gemara explains that when you do tshuva from love, then the sin itself is uprooted from its beginning. Meaning retroactively, there's no more sin. And the difference between the two types of tshuva is not just an abstruse philosophical idea. It actually is reflected in halacha. How so? The Rebbe says like this, Let's say a man says, I'm going to marry this woman. I'm marrying her because I'm under the specific impression that she has no averes. She's a tzaddika. She's completely righteous. But if she did shuva, stimulated or motivated by fear, by awe, on sins that she actually was culpable for when she got married, then she's not married. It's a mekartos, because he married her thinking that, that she's completely righteous. Luckily, this did not happen to me. Um, and, and here, she, she wasn't completely righteous. And yes, yeah, she did shuva, but she did shuva meyira, and so she's not Mikudesh. Because the sins that had accrued uh, wh- you know when when she wa- before the Kedushin, could never be completely uprooted because the Chuva was Meyira. So so she still has Averis or the scar of the Averis. But if she did Ava from love, she's married. Because her avares are actually retroactively uprooted. It's as if they never happened. And so what, if they were uprooted, even after she got married, they were uprooted. They, they weren't there when she got married. And we have a similar uh, idea. And there, there's a there's a discussion in Gemara. And this time uh, it's it's a similar discussion, but it's the, the subject matter is vows and um, and imperfections. Again. If a man married a woman on the premise that she was not bound by any vows at the time that he married her. And then it appeared that uh, that she, she was bound by vows. So if she goes to a Chacham and he absolves her from the vows, then she remains Mikodeshus. She's married. But if she had some imp- physical imperfections that she claimed she didn't have, but later it emerged that she had them. And she goes to a doctor for some plastic surgery or whatever, then she does not remain mikodeshous because whatever it is that the doctor can do, the doctor cannot retroactively completely uh, absolve or um, completely remove the imperfections that were there when she was married. Because a chacham has the power to uproot the nadarim, the vows that she made retroactively, uproot them from their root, meaning completely make them like they never were. A doctor can only fix something. So now going forward, there won't be the same imperfection. But at the time that she was married, the imperfection was there. And he married her only because she didn't have any imperfection. So she's not Mikodesh's. Dalit. This is all to underscore that the halachic distinction between ava, between tshuva me'ava and tshuva me'ira is not just intellectual gymnastics, that it actually can have Practical ramifications. It means that it's a completely different thing. Dalet. So this distinction between... The general distinction between chuva that comes as a result of love and chuva that comes as a result of fear. So generally speaking... The difference between tshuva me'av and tshuva is that in tshuva me'av, the motivational factor is Hashem. I actually want to return to Hashem. In the tshuva from yira, the motivational factor is I'm afraid. I'm afraid to be struck by lightning. I, I, I mean, and that, and hey, let's not mitigate the, the importance and the greatness of returning on that premise. But it's a different kind of returning. Now, the Rebbe says, just like that, uh, that exists generally, more specifically, even in tshuva of Ahava, there are also distinctions. So in case anybody thought that tshuva was a simple thing, the Rebbe is disabusing us of, of, of that idea. So the Rebbe says, what we explained about tshuva miava that it retroactively completely uproots the sin, adayin This itself, that the sin is uprooted, is still not the fruition of what can or should be accomplished through tshuva mi'ava. Ki shel the fullness of tshuva me'ava is not expressed only when you uproot the sin, but rather when the sin becomes a merit. But in Ava, there are many levels of love. And generally speaking, we can divide them in accordance with the famous words that we say a few times a year, a few times a day, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So because love itself can be subdivided in different levels, so the tshuva that comes from love is likewise subdivided in various levels and we've already established that me'ava has to be with Kavana move on so it's understood that the fullness of intention is only in the in the highest level of chuva from Ava. So once we know that the highest level of love is the highest level of kavana, it can only be brought about by the highest level of intention, then we could even say that when a person does tshuva me'ava, and that is a, a level of kavana, that causes that the sin should be uprooted, but that's still not considered kavana. when you compare it to the kavana that creates such a transformation that the avayinah is nasu is that the sins become merits. So in other words, we know this is true in life in general, that you could be very wowed by something, you could be very, very excited by something, and then you come upon something else and that completely eclipses <laughs> the excitement or your you know, infatuation with what you thought was so exciting before. I mean, maybe it's happened to you. It's definitely happened to me that there were books that I read that I thought were like, oh my gosh, mind blowing. Yeah, then I got a little bit older. I was like, what was I smoking? You know. So, so the Rebbe says that there are different levels and it's true that it's a tremendous level of kabbana to be brought to such a high level of Ahava that your sins are uprooted, so much so it's as if they never existed. But it's still not the highest level. And compared to the highest level, even that level before is not even considered Kavana. And the highest level is that the sins become merit. And like Chazal Torah, me'ava that those that serve Hashem with all their heart and with all their soul, but not with all their might, the Gemara Bracha says, they are referred to as those that don't do the will of Hashem. Wow. (laughs) That's uh, harsh. And generally, this is understood through the terminology of the Raghat Shavagrahi, Lahavir loi kavana, boi kavana. Very succinctly, the Raghat taught that to just like kind of dissipate the Hakeit, you don't need kavana. But to fix the Hakeit, you need kavana. You know what? I think Lahavir means to trespass. I am I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think it means here to do the sin, you don't need kavana, but to fix the sin, you need kavana. And you might see somewhat of this idea, the the importance of this distinction in chuva from ava in a halacha. And again, the Chabad brings us Issa Bigemara, another halacha from Kidushin. Sham B'Kadish, Tzadik. If a man is Mikadish, a woman, and he presents himself, the she, she marries him because he says he's a tzadik. That's all she wants. She wants to marry tzadik. Afilu Rusha Gamur even if he was a complete Russia. He's, she's still married to him. Why? Shema here Chuva Because he could have done tshuva just like that. And now he's a tzaddik. And she wanted to marry a tzaddik. So the fact that he was a Russia Agumor at the moment of the marriage, it's all good. Because he could have had a here tshuva. And, and, and that's it. And now he's a tzaddik and they're married. But there's a question on this. Either way, there's a question. If his thought of chuva was stimulated or catapulted by fear, then she shouldn't be mikodeshes Because we just finished explaining that from tshuva miyira you don't become a tzaddik. Fisha mixas love because there's always going to be the residual scar of, of the avera. im and if his hear her tshuva was of such exalted level that it was actually stimulated by love of Hashem, Then again, she shouldn't be considered married. Why? Because Bal tshuva because baal tshuva is higher than tzaddik. And like Chazal teach us famously that in the place where Bal tshuva stands a Tzadik Gomer can't stand. So she shouldn't be Mekodeshah. She thought she's marrying a Tzadik. Now he's a Bal tshuva. Wrong guy. And there is a halacha that says that even if he misled her towards some benefit, a man misleads a woman, but it ends up that it's to her benefit. For instance, either it's that he, he presented himself as having a lesser type lineage, a lesser pedigree than he actually has. He says, oh, no, I'm just a plain guy, but it ends up that he's descendant of who knows who. Or the benefit to her is monetary. ani, he She married him and she was under the, the impression that he's a poor man. But he's actually loaded. He has all these offshore accounts. So the halacha is that even if a woman marries someone under... Conditions, and it turns out that the conditions are fallacious, they're false, but it's all to her benefit. Ain't a Mikodeshus. So here it would be the same thing, it would seem, right? She married him, think he's a tzad, but in fact, he's a bal So even though it's Lashvach, she gains from it because she's marrying a guy that's even a higher level than she wanted to. But how could she remain Mikodeshus? And yet the Gemara says that it's Mikodeshus. So this is a famous question. And what's the Tiritz? What's the resolution? So it could be, Taka, that he did do Tshuva. His hero Tshuva was meava. But it was a lower kind of tshuva me'ava. It was the level that only affects the uprooting of the sins. And it was not a tshuva me'ava that is the higher level that effectuates a transformation of the sins to merits. And this, teaching that a tzaddik cannot stand in a place of a val this is only from the highest level of chuva me'ava and this guy did not do tshuva me'ava on that level and the rebbe says and even more you're talking about the possibility that he had a thought of tshuva you're talking about this turning on a dime very 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 quickly it's not possible that the highest level of tshuva should be done in completion in a moment and therefore everybody can breathe, don't worry, she's still in the Kodesh, because um, with, with, with like this kind of very quick here, her tshuva can't possibly effectuate that the sin should become merits, and that he should have a higher level than a tzaddik. And to explain this a little bit more, the superlative characteristic of a balshuva relative to a tzaddik, who never ever sinned is not just quantitative, that he did more mitzvahs than the Tzadik. It's not just that in addition to the good things he did, he also quantitatively has more mitzvahs, because all of his sins also became mitzvahs. No. The Rebbe says, no. The difference is qualitative. What does that mean? like Zachyas. What does it mean that the sins actually become merits? me echos acheras. They are qualitatively different. These merits are not pedestrian merits. They're of a completely different caliber. The and therefore bimakim It's not even in the yechailas. It's not even in the toolbox. It's not even in the potential of a tzaddik to be where a Baal can be because of the qualitative difference of these merits. He call Kama Shiyu L Tzade Gomer Zachyis, Ali because as many Zakhis, as many merits as a tzadigomer will have, because of his exalted service, Lo Yucho, La Hagia, La Void Hadasha, La Echo Sachher's Zahyis, he can never reach this new level, this qualitatively new kind of merit ela shakalze you talking rock petruva haba this qualitative type of distinguished zochyes can only come to the highest and the the comp- most complete level of chuvameva omemela and therefore for me tschlamos hakavana asher hi pa elis itikon a khayb even shes dynes and so it comes from the completion of the of the kavanah, and the, the completion of the kavanah effectuates the complete redressing, the tikkun, the fixing of the chayit in a way that the sins become zochies. Hey, now the Rebbe says, we're gonna explain this more deeply. Beer in yinzeh, the explanation for this the completion of this love that leads to this chuva and the completion of the intention and the way in which it transforms the sins to merits is found in the words of al when he talks, for instance, about eating prohibited foods. The Rebbe says that the foods that are prohibited, alpitaira, are incarcerated and are connected. They're incarcerated by and connected to the Chetzeinim, the Sitra Achra, the evil and the impurity of this world. And they can never be elevated from there until the person who ate them did such a great Shuvah that the sins become Merit mamish. And now the Altechev explains what kind of chuva is this. Shehi tshuva me'ava me'umka deliba. This is chuva that comes from a the deepest, from a love that is generated from the deepest part of the heart. Ba'ava rabba, with a great love. hasheka and a a yen and a desire, the nephesh Shakeka, Lidavka Bhizbarak, and a soul that aspires to connect to Hashem, Vitsama Nafshaila Hashem, and his soul is is parched and 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 thirsty for Hashem, like. Apart from like 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 a person in a parched land. <speaking in Hebrew> he realizes that until now his soul has been in a desolate and parched dry land. He has Sitra Achra. This is the land of the Sitra Achra, the other side, the evil side. <speaking in Hebrew> And very distant from the light that comes from the face of Hashem, completely. He's so completely removed. And when he realizes this, and therefore his soul is able to be parched and to be. Filled with this deepest level of desire that totally eclipses the thirst of the Nefesh of Tzaddikim. The Nefesh of Tzaddikim also have an unyielding and unremitting thirst for Hashem and for higher and higher and higher levels of Hashem. But nevertheless, they can never come close to the thirst of the Nefesh of the one who feels that they were completely bereft from connection to Hashem and from being in the light of his face, etc. Like, like like we learned at the place of the Balshuva Tshuva stand, the, the Tzadik, the Rebbe said before. Zadi doesn't want to. He just simply can't. He doesn't have the ability. And it's only about this kind of tshuva, that it is said that the sins themselves become merits. Because it's only through these sins that he came to this very great, distinguished level of love for Hashem. Now, Shnei in Yanim Nizbarukan. Rebbe says, so there are two things that the Alta Rebbe explained here. Ha'ili Hanase begavra. The Alta Reb addressed the way in which the person himself is elevated. gormim, That the very sins caused. That there should be aroused within this person a soul thirst that is so much stronger than the thirst of the souls of Tzadikim. That's one thing that the Altechev explained. And second, now, the Altechev also explained the, the change that was affected in the entity, the sins, bizdainis. Because through the sins he came to Rabbah. And now the Rebbe says, Now I'm going to explain it to you halachically. Okay, so this is something that we hear constantly, right? If you learned Chasidus, you're not a stranger to the idea of Zdenis Nasluk, like Zachis. But here the Rebbe is going to break it down for us, legally speaking. This is not just something that is meant to massage egos, make you feel good, etc. But how does this work legally? The Dugma, the Rebbe says, for example, there is this whole rubric in Halacha called Hechshar Mitzvah. Preparation for doing Mitzvah. Machshiri Mitzvah. Things that are necessary that make possible the observance of a Mitzvah. Because without these things, it's impossible to observe the mitzvah. So they achieve a certain status in halacha. So because the mitzvah can't be observed without these things, so these things themselves, these activities that are hech mitzvah, that are preparatory, they achieve a certain level of importance, legally speaking. So, for instance, Rabbi Leizer taught, him. If on Shabbos you cut down trees, Lasa is in order to create coals, is Barzel" to make iron. Why? Ismail in order to fashion the special knife, "Lemila" for circumcision. And you did all of this on Shabbos. So first of all, this is not l'halacha, but according to many, since these things are necessary for the mitzvah of mila, a mila only done on the eighth day is dayche Shabbos. So these inyanim, these um, activities that are necessary are dayche Shabbos. Again, this is not halacha because all this can be done before Shabbos. But it, the Rebbe is bringing this down to show us that there is such a thing called hersher mitzvah, and Hersher mitzvah has a very specific place in halacha. Now, in, in the Yershalmi, we have even kind of like a higher designation, a higher kind of um, importance being attributed to these things that are necessary to do a mitzvah. That, for instance, when it comes to that which must be done in order to observe the mitzvah of sukkah or the love, so the Yishalmi says, This is considered a mitzvah in itself. How do we know it's considered a mitzvah in itself? It's not just haksher mitzvah, because there's even a bracha to be said. Again, we don't do this lahalacha, but this is, a, this is something that is discussed. So, your entertains this notion that these things are not just considered heksha mitzvah, they're actually considered mitzvah themselves. How do you know? Because there's even this discussion about making a bracha on putting up the sukkah, on preparing the lulav, on making the tzitz, etc. And what is the simple explanation? Once the Torah commands us to observe a certain mitzvah, and observing this mitzvah is not possible without the necessary preparatory stages. So we have to say that these preparatory stages are also considered, they're, they're included in the mitzvah. Oi, or said differently, or that these preparatory stages are accorded the same importance as a mitzvah. afnas mitzvah. And according to shami it even becomes a mitzvah. Now, an even higher level, when it comes to hechsheh mitzvah, again, the preparatory stages in a mitzvah, we find an example of this in the Avoidah and the services that had to be done in the base of the mitzvah. Specifically, in the bringing of the blood to the mitzvah. So the animal was slaughtered in one place and then there was this avayda called hazah. the blood had to be sprinkled and the blood had to be walked over from where the animal was slaughtered to the Mizbeach. And so we find, <speaking in Hebrew> even though walking the blood over is only for the purpose of sprinkling it, hadinhu. <speaking in Hebrew> but nevertheless, the Halacha is, <speaking in Hebrew> that the actual walking it over, Walking over the blood has importance and falls in the category of avoda in the base So much so that if the machshava, if the thought process of the kohen was not appropriate, it invalidates the karban becomes pigul. And more generally, Then, even more, more generally, we we'll have we have this paradigm of an avoda that's considered preparatory It's not considered a complete Avaida. dinim and it has the same category. And the same Halachis Abhavaida Aval ainzu avoida shihikoimeris um misma ma umisa metes um mis umisa memes esadavar. Kiesh achara avida, Vilachain Zarsha As Avaidazu in Misa. So more generally, the Rebbe says we have a category of Avaida that's preparatory, it's not a complete Avaida. It has certain halachas of Avaidah, but at the same time, since it's not a complete Avaida, it doesn't, it doesn't finish and complete Avaida. So if a czar does it, if a person who's not a kaihin does this avaida, he's not chayav Misa. So in other words, the Rebbe is saying, we have aspects of Hekshar mitzvah that are considered, almost like the mitzvah itself. And then we have, generally speaking, some that are not mamish considered like the mitzvah, like for instance, the example of the czar that engages in in such a kind of avodah and he's not high Misa. Now the Rebbe went in this direction because he wants to explain to us how legally speaking that sins actually become merits. So he says, now, based on what we looked at regarding different categories of Hech mitzvah, we're in a better position to understand this idea. Because, as the Tanya explains, a person cannot possibly reach this most exalted level in Shuvah from Ava except through trespassing certain of the averes that he did. And because of these sins, mm-hmm. from now going forward, forget about the Tshuva, but every time he does a mitzvah, it's gonna be done in a different way because of that experience. A feeling so truncated from Hashem earlier, so the averus themselves become elevated and transformed into the category of mitzvahs, just like what we explained above regarding preparatory stages to a mitzvah. Just like there could be a discussion in the Yerushalmi about making a bracha on building the sukkah. Mm-hmm. Just like there could be the possibility of saying that on Shabbos you should be able to chop wood, you should be able to create coal, you should be able to smelt iron, you should be able to form the ismail because on Shabbos you could do mila. It means that Hechshar mitzvah is is a category that is very close to the category of a mitzvah. And the Rebbe says, and now you understand how the z'dayinites, the very sins that are the only way to reach tshuva me'avah are merits. This is not a sleigh of hand here. This is not some magic trick. Again, it's not just something to make people feel good. It is actually the only way that you can achieve this level of Tshuva Me'ava. Therefore, becomes part, becomes a mitzvah. One second. Is he comparing the Hesher mitzvah to the, the um, Nasil Nasulai Kazachias, meaning? Exactly. Okay. But, but... Yeah. The Rebbe is not finished. He's going to push back now. but he's but he's going to say, but it would seem that everybody listening to this should be up in arms and should be like, wait, 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 really? in the case of the of the Hersha mitzvah, let's say you're building a sukkah, it never really becomes a mitzvah. They always remain preparatory. They don't become the mitzvah itself. The discussion is about if you could do it on Shabbos or if you should say a bracha, but it doesn't become the mitzvah. That's aleph. And even according to Shalmi, that says that you make a bracha and you say Hashem commanded us to do this. In that hypothetical bracha that you would make, the bracha would be on making the sukkah. But it's not the mitzvah of dwelling in the sukkah. And walking over the Dham to the Misbeach is not considered a complete avoidance. But there's more. Beis, ve'iker, but most importantly, kol hanal, heim pa'ula yishel chana she'ap heim b'sug de mitzvah. V'yisei yomizu heim shayach his mamash de mitzvah z'kufah. These are all preparatory stages to doing the mitzvah. They are they are shayach to the mitzvah. They are relevant to the mitzvah. You're talking about all holy things towards a holy end. Building a sukkah, getting yourself a lulav, walking over the blood. Masha Inkin, a But in what we're discussing here. You're talking here about a sin. A sin is the polar opposite of a merit, of a mitzvah. That's on one hand. So on one hand, you're talking about a sin. Antithetically opposed to anything good. And then you're saying that it becomes a mitzvah. But the Rebbe's not finished. The question is even stronger. Because let's say there are aspects of Hechshem mitzvah that are rishos, meaning just, there's, there's something that we're obligated to do, there are things that we're not permitted to do, and then there's rishos. We're allowed to do it, it's not a mitzvah to do it, we're allowed to do it. So the Rebbe brings that example, like plowing and sowing. vishar hapaulois, and all the rest of the agricultural overtures that are necessary to digoncha v'yitzarecha, To gathering your grain, your wine, and your oil. Even though without sowing and reaping and plowing and watering and I'm not very familiar with all the agricultural pursuits, but whatever it is, without all these things, you won't be able to do the mitzvahs. You won't be able to do the mitzvah of Truma. You won't be able to do the mitzvah of miser, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't find anywhere discussion that there should be any mitzvah attached to these things. They're not even referred to as preparatory stages of mitzvahs. And we might say that the reason is because the Rashbi, because the Rashbi famously said Ein Zerotli, that all these pursuits are not, uh, they're not so desirable. The Rashbi famously said, is it possible that a person is plowing and he's, he's planting? What's gonna be with Ta'ir if people are engaged in agricultural pursuits? You remember that the Rashbi had to go back into the cave to, to understand the world and the people I love in accordance with the song we sang when we were in elementary and high school. Go back to the cave, said a voice from above, right? So, because he didn't understand how could you sow and how could you reap and what's gonna be with Banan, And even in accordance with the other chacham not the Rashbi that was on that level, even if the other did not indict people for involving themselves in these pedestrian pursuits, but they also didn't see in it that it was something so great. So the Rebbe says if, you, if, if plowing and reaping, which are benign um, Aspects about cultural work were not seen as Hersha mitzvah. How could you say that a sin that's antithetical to everything that Hashem wants should form the category of hechsher mitzvah, and that way legally it actually becomes a mitzvah? And the rebbe says, in short, this is the explanation. Zai. And every mitzvah, no matter what the mitzvah is, no matter what kind of mitzvah it is, it all has a common theme. And in the terminology of no matter what mitzvah you're doing, you're doing the will of Hashem. I said something and my will was, was, was done spends a lot of time explaining to us that no matter how small the avera is, you have still trespassed Hashem's desire. And then there's a second aspect in every mitzvah, and that is the specific. So there's the universal, and there's the specific. The universal in every mitzvah is that it's Hashem's desire. The specific is. Circumcising the foreskin, sitting in a sukkah, etc. So, although the preparatory stages are done with the same desire as the mitzvah, or at least they're connected to this desire, they are still not a part of or a detail in the mitzvah itself. <laughs> For instance, preparing the ismail, again, that's the special implement with which mila is done, is not a part of the circumcision itself. <laughs> Making the building the sukkah, preparing the lulav is not part of the mitzvah. Walking over the blood is not part of the sprinkling. I have a question. Yeah. How could it how could the Rebbe say that it's not part of the mitzvah? I can understand how he would say it's not the mitzvah, but you can't have a bris without Ismail. You just right. can't. You can't have the sukkah without building it. Right. How could but, it not part of the mitzvah? So you can I, I can't do a challah without making the dough. You could understand it by looking at the opposite if somebody made the dough for you could you <clears> still <throat> make a fresh if you had a team of going and put up your sukkah could you still f- could you still fulfill the midst of the sukkah's teshebo okay. if the isma was created 300 years ago and you you inherited it from your great 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 grandfather's been doing brisim uh and your family you have an unbroken tradition you have an isma that's 300 years old right you don't that you understand yeah, hundred you know, percent. But, but if you did do it, how could we say it's not part of the, like peeling the maror? How is it not part of the mitzvah? <laughs> I'm just thinking about this. because <laughs> if you bought the maror from dentists, you could still you could still make the bracha alachilas maror. Okay. Okay. Ulam hatshuva So the answer generally is in yano hu so the answer is generally found in the terminology of the Rambam. Umahi hatshuva. The Rambam explains famously, "What is tshuva?" Chuva Tshuva is effectuated when you leave the sin. The sinner leaves his sin. He veers his thought process from the sin and he resolves in his heart that he will never do it again. And then the Rambam brings down a pasuk. A Russia should leave his way. This means that the process of tshuva the resolve, the um, the decision in his will, the yigmar believer in his resolve in his heart. He The Rebbe says something so beautiful and profound here. He says because the process of tshuva takes place. That was that was not the right way stated is affected through the same medium and in exactly the same place as the Averis. It's not just that you need dough in order to take challah. Where do Averis take place? They take place in your thought process. They take place in your heart. They take place in your activities. And what is tshuva? Tshuva is this methodical leaving behind the hate and veering your thoughts in a different direction, and resolving in your heart. In other words, there is nothing utilitarian here. The fashioning of the ismail is utilitarian, so that you can do the mitzvah of Mila. The dough can be made by anybody. It's utilitarian. You want to make the bracha, you want to do the mitzvah. But in in chuva? No. No. It's your heart, it's your mind process. It's the very same stomping ground, makai, where all that various are place. And because this chuva meava, this thirst was aroused through the sins. Therefore, the sins themselves become merits. When is this so? This only takes place when there is the completion of the ahava when there is this highest level of intention, then the sins become part and parcel of Teshuvah, because of the love and the intention that they, that they kickstart and therefore they become merits. But when there isn't this highest, complete this level of tshuva, there is tshuva me'ava, there is such a thing, but if it's not the highest level, the sins do not become merits. The sins do not become merits. The sins are completely uprooted. And in Ches, the Rebbe is now going to continue to sharpen his thesis, again, legally speaking, by giving us examples of hechsher Mitzvah that are in a completely different category than the examples he gave us thus far. Dugma'ez l'hanal. Examples thereof. Al kaponim me'in hanal. At the very least, somewhat like this, and perhaps you could see the Rebbe's intense modesty here, and 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 very succinctly the Rebbe says examples of mitzvah, preparatory stages of mitzvah, mitzvah, and they become actually a mitzvah. Let's look at sug de Chinoch. Let's look at the category of chinoch education, or inauguration. What about all the karbanos and all the works that had to be done? They were chinuch, but they were considered mitzvahs. Or minchas chinuch shol There was a mincha, there was a carbon mincha, a meal offering, a flower offering that every koyan had to bring as part of his, um, let's call it orientation. Okay? And it became a mitzvah. or the mitzvah that a father has to teach his child, his young child that's not yet mechuyev a mitzvah teira. And there are many more. Or the rabbi says, kiim ha'mitzvahs Look at all of us. We we fancy ourselves as doing mitzvahs. But l'fi d'vri ha'safri el varatan pasud b'avadatim, v'samtam is is on, on the pasuk that you will be, that you, you will be lost, you will be exiled. But you should put these words: the Safri teaches, pishani magla even though I am exiling you, You should be both conversant and distinguished through the mitzvahs. So when you return after. The ge'ula, it won't all be new to you. The Ramban is very, very famously, cocks in this, that all the mitzvahs that we do in golos are just, so we should be mitzuyon and we should be distinguished by them. And we should, we should be conversant with the mitzvahs. But they're not actually considered mitzvahs, but they, but they actually are, we are. So the Rebbe is bringing examples of a whole new level of hechshar mitzvah that's actually mitzvah, like a hechshar mitzvah on steroids. And this is all to bolster his thesis of how legally speaking, a sin can become a merit. And this is me'einz, do'yinz naslu kazachiyiz b'mitzvah's gufa. And then he says, you could even find Something like this idea that the sin becomes a merit in certain mitzvahs, the whole mitzvah is about this, like the sirah mishcha like the goat that, is, that was sent away, the lazazel on, on Yom Kippur, or the para aduma, or the red heifer, or the egla arufa, the decapitated calf that had to be killed if somebody was, uh, was murdered and nobody knew exactly who murdered them and it was murdered outside of the cities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Shedafka ha'avoida b'chutz nasis avoida hamdechaperes, and all of these karbanos, all of these avoidas were done b'chutz. They weren't done in the Beit Hamikdash, and still chatos kiryachamana. God refers to them as a khatas, as a sin offering, as a bonafide sin offering. Kamei bechol karbanos avoidas b'fenim dafka avoidaser, and they're considered like a khatas, like the the chatos that are all. You know, um, offered in the base Hambikdash and maybe even holier. ze par delio, or in like fashion, we have the, the par, the bulak that Elyo offered Bahara Carmel, Bahira Shah. It was a anomalous thing. It was only for that time that he was able to bring it up on a bama. But still, it wasn't bifnim, it wasn't bakaydish, but it was considered mitzvah. Yeserimizu, and even more, Maimarazal, the Chakamim say, Mineu be Ava Lishdei be that from the forest itself you make the axe that will chop down the tree. Haklaal Godobatara. We see this in one of the most important axioms of the Tara, Picoach Nevesh. Afi de Kola Versha Batara, Chuzmehafoi, Shleish, that you can break every single Avera in the Torah, except for the three that define life, which are no adultery, no idolatry, and no immoral relationships. Even though if a person kills himself, he has no chilek and haba, but this is not considered killing himself. This is considered living. So here you have an example of something that seems opposite. And yet this is how you keep the Torah. And the Rebbe says, there's so much more to say about this, but this is not the place. So now we're in a better position to understand why this is the end of the Masechta. You remember the Rebbe's question. The first question was, (laughs) we have this rule that everything is kind of distinguished or remembered by, by its finale. So why would the finale of the Gemara Yuma, that's all about Yom Kippur and Kapara, be about something that seems so negative? But the says, but now we're in a completely different place. We could understand this. We could understand <speaking in Hebrew> that if a man sees a seminal mission in Kippur, he should worry a whole year. <speaking in Hebrew> and if he lives through the year, <speaking in Hebrew> then he can be assured that he will merit and um, you see, we, let's not forget that he will have a long life, that he will see children and great-grandchildren. The Rebbe says, we'll understand it by prefacing, by understanding the term Yida he should worry. Usually, the Gemara would say it's a bad omen. Here, the Gemara says, not it's a bad omen, but he should be in a state of consternation, worry, apprehensiveness. What does this mean? What does it really mean he should worry a whole year? If you're really worried, you're going to do something about it. You're going to do tshuva. Because we're talking about a person who is upset because he saw a carry. Rashi like Rashi writes, why would he be upset? Maybe his Tainus, his, his whole fasting in Kippur was not accepted. And he was satiated with what they can satiate him, meaning he's just being placated. But really, Hashem has not accepted his, his Chuba. Like a servant that wants to pour a cup for his, for his teacher, for his, um, his boss and the boss throws back the water, the whatever the beverage was in his face. In other words, the man is worried that by seeing the seminal omission, he's being told by Hashem, your chuvah is not being accepted. I don't want your service. I don't, I don't want you to pour my glass. We know that there's nothing worse than having a um, an overture rebuffed. There's no greater pain. You want to do something nice to someone, and they say, "I don't want. I don't. I don't. I don't want your help. I don't want anything from you." And this kind of worry and this kind of contemplation brings him to a higher place than he ever was. To say it a little bit differently. Because a man who sees a seminal mission Yom Kippur, it can't be that he did this intentionally. Why? Because Yom Kippur is a time where we afflict ourselves with five afflictions. We engage in five abstentions. And we don't think about Averis so this proves so this means that this did not happen to him because of his Yei tzahara. because Yom Kippur is not a time where we indulge the so how did it come that he saw a seminal omission it happened the abster made this happen and like we read in Megillus Echa because that we read that from Hashem is not going to come anything bad. So this is a favor. Now we understand why the Gemara finishes on this on this note. It's not a negative note, it's a positive note. The Ibishha did him a favor that he should see this carry. This is like the Ibishha text messaging him and saying, Rabid, you need to up your game. He would never have been able to reach this high level of tshuva under normal circumstances. Even if he was a tzaddik, he would never be able to reach that level. But when he will worry the whole year and he will reach this highest level of tshuva, he is going to merit an addition, not only in his spiritual work, elagam but this will always, but this will also be reflected in his physical material situation, Mafish He's going to live longer. More than was allotted to him, more than was slated, um, more than was in the um, the Hebrew word, uh, uh, budgeted, more than was budgeted for him. More than he would have had if he would have done normal Avaida. So the carry was a favor that the Abishudah did for him. That he saw this, this catapulted him in a higher level of chukla. Yud. And we conclude with this. Simon. Now we're in a position to understand why this is the last thing the Gemara speaks about. the And how this is connected to the Mishnah and the, 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 the subject matter that, that, that comes before it. Because remember, Rabbi Akiva spoke of two types of Tahara, Hazah Utfila. Haza necessitates kavona. Tefillah doesn't. Da haza boi kavanah, tefillah loi boi kavanah. U'be'inyin zeh, hu hem shechat varen be'gemara. And so the gemara finishes along the same lines of what Rabbi Akiva taught in his Mishnah. Levar, ha'chiluk b'n shnei oifanei ha'tshuva adam. To explain the difference between two levels of tshuva. That Shuva from Yira doesn't elicit the same fullness of intention and a contradistinction, Shuva Mi does. and more in details. haifanim Mi Ava Gufa. And now to look at the two subdivisions in tshuva me'ava itself. There's one level, this is the lower level, that the sins are uprooted retroactively. He becomes a tzadik. And therefore, he could even do this kind of tshuva in one instant. Remember that she's still mikodeshes it doesn't necessitate the fullness of kavana bidugmas ininathila so this is like going into the metta you don't need kavana va madrega analysis your but a higher level of chura payalish stanis nasalika zakhya is that effectuates that the sins become merits the zois on initially masakavaradaka but this can only come through complete kavana bidugmas ininhasaya just like the sprinkling that can only Affect change if the person has the right kavana. And so the discussion of tshuva the Gemara ends with these two things. Aleph. hapa. Number one, he is promised, he is assured that he will have o'lam hapa. This is not a new thing, because call Yisrael, yesh hapa. This is a person who has my His sins were uprooted. And he's going to have a He should know he's a complete sad. Even though he went through a scare and he had to worry a whole year. He did do tshuva with kavanah, but it wasn't a complete tshuva. But what was the second thing that the Gemara said this person is going to have? He's going to have an elongated life, and he's going to merit children and grandchildren. Not only was the sighting of the seminal omission not a deficit and or a punishment, on the contrary, through this very scenario, through this very situation, through this very circumstance, he merits greater and additional his life is elongated just like the sins that become merit. Again, the Rabbi said earlier that there were a certain amount of years that were slotted for this person that were, in the, that were budgeted for him, but his life is elongated through this great level of tshuva. And so the novel teachings in the end of the Gemara, vis-a-vis what we would have known before, express themselves in a few ways. Through this is explained and delineated more clearly how you actually achieve this. How both sins can be uprooted retroactively and how sins can become merits. How? he Because this is a man who saw a Kippur. It wasn't because he was engaging in lustful behavior because it's not possible Yom Kippur. So we could see that this happened the circumstance occurred because of hashgacha el-yana, it came from above. And so his Aveda is now reciprocal to what the overture that began from above. Hashem literally tapped him on his shoulders and said, here's an opportunity for you. And, beiz, she-yida and through him engaging in this worry, in this tshuva, this leads to Shlamas Hakavana This leads to a complete kavana, a complete shuva, because he was so hurt and pained by what happened to him. But this is not a pain that he would have felt under normal circumstances. And Bays, and another novelty that we learned from the end of the Gemara is that the addition is not just in the matters of spirituality, but it also expresses itself in the material. The gashmi is gashmi, in a physical, material, corporeal reward. yamim, his days will be lengthened the until he sees the completion. What, what is the greatest schar of all, banim or bnei banim, b'tayr over mitzvahs to see children and grandchildren that busy themselves with tayr and mitzvahs. This was a real workout uh, on every level, but this just means that uh, we got to get back to school here seriously. Enough already with the, with with with, the, with the cooking and the baking and the pots. Thank you so much. Wishing everybody a wonderful week. Thanks you too. Agazunta Zuma and Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.